from Psalm 22, verses 1 to 11, and verses 22 to 31. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Just aware that I almost burnt myself in the candle the other week. So I'm moving forward a little bit. I've had one of those mornings when I've woken up not sleeping very much and then I twinge my back, lifting a jug of milk. Which, and it wasn't a very big jug of milk. It was a, a terrible, it was just a little jug of milk. <laughs> so if you see me grimacing, it's not the uh, influence of the Holy Spirit, it's just pain. And uh, it probably fits with the subject of today's um, uh, talk. So why don't we pray? <laughs> oh Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your word that is real and is present in uh, every moment. And we thank you, Lord, that we can receive from it as food for our soul, as a light for our path. We can explore your word and have it 
meet us uh, for the sake of your glory. Amen. Um, so we're in the second week of Lent and we are focusing on prayer and we're not going to be doing it just in theory. We're going to be doing it in practice. So a little bit later on we're going to do what we can to express what it means to prayer in lament. Now I understand that this is going to be slightly confected because it's like let's all lament right now um, but spiritual prayer practices aren't just about that. It's about creating space and seeing what the Lord will do. We'll get to that in a minute. But when it comes to talking about prayer it's one of those things that can feel a little awkward um it's sort of like when you're in a relationship like you know uh, when the you know your husband wife uh, friend parent child and in relationships there are things that you can learn and you can be taught so you can learn about conflict resolution you can learn about listening skills you can learn about different personality types um, and those things are good, but if your relationship was just nothing but a collection of techniques, there'd be something missing, wouldn't there? Right? So prayers like that, we can talk about prayer techniques and spiritual disciplines, and we can come up with liturgies and things that help us, but if that's just the sum total of our prayer life, then there's something missing. It's meant to be organic and real, and they're meant to be welling up from a sense of, here we are walking with God in an appropriate posture. And so prayer is where we share our deepest longings. How can I condense that down to a technique or a liturgy? It's where we share our deepest fears. It's the light in which we churn around the deepest conundrums of life. And it's also where we lean back into the peace and quiet and joy of a current moment when that is what's around. It's our shared reality with God. And so today, as we look at the prayers, what it means to lament, we have what we realize is that what we're going to be doing is not so much approaching a prayer technique as confronting reality in which we share that reality with God. And lament is for those moments, those real moments, those parts of our life that we share where we deal with the hard things, the grief, hurt, despair, loneliness, sickness, injustice, pain, and not in some abstract sense where we find the right collect of the day to line up with the theoretical moments, but in the real, actual experience of those things. So when we think about prayer, we can easily conceive it as something that we do on a Sunday morning or by reading the right devotional uh, but when, what do we do when what we are experiencing is things where it hurts even to get out of bed or maybe even to breathe and it's, a bit, it's hard to even think, let alone form words. So as we think about prayer today, necessarily there's one gospel truth that I want to put in front of us. and The gospel truth is this. In this world and in this life, bad things happen to good people. If a bad thing is happening to you, it's not because you're bad. It might possibly be in some circumstances, some consequence for some mistake you've made, but just because a bad thing is happening 
doesn't make you bad. We spend most of our life trying to hedge our way away from bad things and sometimes we do that by mustering up some moralistic virtue so that we can't, we, we know it's not owed to us. But no matter how much we do that, no matter how virtuous we are, bad things will still happen to us. Death will happen to us, sickness will happen to us, fault will happen, sin will happen, hurts will happen, and that is our reality. So today, if that's raw for you, and as we dig into this, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do, can I encourage you, um, if you need to talk to someone, uh, Jill and I are here, and we'll find someone else that you trust, and we're very happy to talk with you afterwards. And it seems silly for me to ask the question, when I talk about these hard things, can you recall a hard moment in your life? <laughs> yeah? So how do you pray in that moment? How do you pray when we're far from the happy, clappy Christian shallows, when life is real? We do have to pray with faithfulness, with trust, with honesty, but maybe not with words at that moment. Consider the image of a child who is experiencing grief or pain and imagine them interacting with a father figure. There are two things that could happen at that moment and I'm sure we've seen them both. One of them, you can imagine that child sucking up the grief repressing the emotion, hiding themselves in case the father figure is angry with them. They're exhibiting a posture of terror, not a posture of trust or faith. Whereas what would trust look like? It would probably look like that child running to the father figure, perhaps yelling, howling, and perhaps even beating upon their chest. It might even look like anger. Why did you let this happen to me? That's not faithlessness. That's faithfulness. Where we trust God even to vent our anger and our grief and all the negative emotions upon him because we trust that he will take it and hold it and answer it in some loving and godly way. Lament is in that space, that space of trusting God with the rawness of who we are. What does it look like? Um, there's an American gospel singer that Jill and I have been listening to for many, many years, and the fact that Stephen Curtis Chapman is someone we like dates us. For those who know Stephen Curtis Chapman, you know, gospel singer of the 80s. But uh, a few years ago, he tragically lost his daughter in an accident on his driveway. And uh, there's an album he put out. He never went and was going to put it out until he realised it would help people, which expresses all the grief. But in the end, his prayer of lament looked like him literally sitting in his driveway and shaving his head in anguish. It was a prayer of grief with his whole body. If you're a West Wing fan like me, end of season two, President Bartlett has lost his dearest confidant and he clears out the National Cathedral 
and he walks up to the altar and he stubs out a cigarette and he yells in Latin at God. It's actually an expression of faith. What does lament look like? Well, it looks like Jesus on the cross bearing the cruel, pain-filled, sin-soaked burdens of humanity and crying out with the words that we've heard in our reading today, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not, oh, I trust you, Lord, I'm here hanging on a... It's, my God, I feel forsaken. Why are you so far from saving me? Enough already! So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. I'm tired, I'm exhausted. In lament, there's no attempt to sugarcoat it, there's no stiff upper lip, there's no need to look on the bright side and remind God of the joy he owes you. It's just simple reality. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it can not only just look like pain and negativity, it can look like abandonment. In the psalm, in Psalm 22, the the psalmist says this, In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. That sounds positive, doesn't it? My, our ancestors trusted you, and you delivered them. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by everyone and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. They say, who trusts in the Lord? Let the Lord rescue him. You see that? It's like, our ancestors believed And you came through. So where are you now? With me. Can you hear it? Why isn't it working? Lord, I've gone out on a limb for you. I've given you my all. I've depended on you. I've trusted you. I've followed you as best I can. I've done what I saw my ancestor's example be. And now this, whatever this is, enemies, bereavement, financial distress, sickness, now this. This wasn't in the story, Lord. This isn't how it should be. Yet you brought me out of the womb and you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From my birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. You made me trust you, Lord. And now this. Can you you see the laying in? So why not me? Why is this the outcome of my crying out? Tell me, can you hear the anguish? Lord, are you there? There have been times, I don't know if you've felt like this, when I've realized that following Jesus, whether it's in church ministry or any other form of vocation and obedience, is not easy and will bring you to this place of feeling abandoned. It's almost guaranteed. And I remember one particular moment when I was uh, in a season when church life wasn't just easy, it was wounding and hurtful. And I remember I went for a walk because I was trying to center myself, you know. What's What's it called when you dwell upon the present? What's the buzzword? 
mindfulness. I was going to go and be mindful and go for a walk. But all that was upwelling within me was the loss of the moment I was in. Plans had gone wrong, dreams had crashed, fears about my family, weariness about the present, regrets about the past, fears about the future, and all of it in the context of being mistreated, negligently harmed by church leadership, and I was angry. Tear-spillingly, thin-lipped, angry. And I was done being angry at the church. I'd done the good Christian thing. I'd forgiven people. I'd given people the benefits of the doubt. I'd examined all the excuses. And now I was angry at God. Your people, Lord, have hurt me and my family. Your church. It's on you. What the hell are you going to do about it, Lord? I trusted you. And now this. And I figuratively tore my clothes and laid into him, finally being honest with him after months of sucking it up until at the end of it all, all I had left was a bit of a whimpering prayer which was, Lord, don't be far from me. I just want to know that you're there. And so like a child, I brought the broken pieces of whatever was left of me and in some perfect way, imperfect way, I held them up as some sort of offering. Here I am, Lord. I'm not even asking you to fix it. I'm not even asking you to bless it. I'm just giving it to you, Lord. You broke it. You keep it. Here, here I am. And as Job says in his 40 chapter long lament in the Old Testament the Lord gives the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord yet though he slay me my only hope is in him so take it these pieces that are left just take it I'm done being in the driver's seat I don't even know where to begin anymore Lord here I am is anyone still resonating with me People not experience that. There's a sense in which lament captures the breaking heart. It's a form of death, a form of utter relinquishment, and it need not have words, maybe just groans, maybe just silence, maybe just tears, but they are all of that, whatever they may be, even angry. They're still Godward. They're still prayer. And in the grace of God, whatever flows from that moment, that place of death, if you like, is in his own way, because this is what he does, some form of resurrection. Not necessarily a fixing, not necessarily an answer. Job in the Old Testament has 40 chapters and still doesn't get his answer as he wrestles with his calamity. Not necessarily any sense of comfort in the way that we demand it, but also no rejection, much grace. The truth that in this moment, God may not be the fixer of the way we want him to be, but he is simply there. And not only does he see our pain, he has shared it, and he's even fathomed it and plumbed it and walked and shared and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which are the words of the cross? 
And it's very hard to grasp resurrection in the midst of dying. But at some point, lament is a prayer that makes space for hope. Not false hope, not empty hope, not pretend it's all fine hope, but deep, even here in the dark, yet I will believe hope. I saw it once in dear friends of ours many years ago who lost their baby stillborn at 40 weeks. And there was much lamenting, and there probably still is. And as we prepared for the funeral of this baby, we asked them how they wanted it to be. What do you want to do in this moment? And they said, we want to say two things. The first is that there is a wrongness in this moment. It is wrong that we should be burying our child. It is wrong that a child should die in this way. This is not how the world should be. We will not agree that this is right. This is wrong. And secondly, they said, we want to say that God is good. He is loving and he holds the words of eternal life and it is right and good to follow him. Two truths, he said, and we have no idea how they go together. But we still know that they're true. We can't put them together. And we want to say them even if they collide. Lament is in the gap between those two truths. Perhaps that's why when the psalmist continues on his journey, he prays, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. It's almost a determination. I'm still going to do it, Lord. I'm still going to say it. So you who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob. Honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. He has listened to his cry for help. It's almost a determined acknowledgement. It's like holding up our grief as an offering and say, but you still say, Lord. And we have the things he says. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Tears will be wiped away. Lord, you will judge the world and, and, and you will make it right. And I'm going to hold you to it. See what? lament all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the lord and all the families of the nation will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the lord and he rules over the nations. so don't you forget it god it's all i've got left in the end therefore lament is hope grief is trust In faith, we embrace the pain. We turn towards the abyss of that experience, which would otherwise undo us, as if to say, Lord, meet me here or not at all. And so we fall into his arms. I'm going to stop talking in a minute. All I want to say is, when I look around at the people who I consider to be mature Christians, the people who I want to be like when I grow up almost invariably I look at people who have learned to lament well they have turned towards their pain and made it a real physical 
gut-wrenching gut wrenching prayer. And as I said at the beginning, I don't need to tell you what that might look like in your own experience or in your own current moment. Some of us even now may be feeling some of those griefs and wishing to lament. And we'll be praying in a minute. But I also want to recognize that often when we're in the midst of it, the words run out. And at those points, we often need to borrow other people's words. One last story. Just after that time when I was yelling at God, we were at Soul Survivor Watford, and I knew I was grieving. We had one of those Soul Survivory type services where, you know, you worship for half an hour, and I'm sitting there going, not feeling it, Lord. Just, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. And, and I actually got to the point where it's like, I can't, I can't do it, Lord. If you want me to be up in the rafters, you're going to have to do it. And, uh, and then the music ended, and I thought, great, fantastic, good. And I sat down, and Mike Pilavachi started to talk. And as he talked, I started to weep. And he got to the point, he was one of those talks when, his first time he did it, actually, when he was talking about how church should be like family. And he got to one line where he said, we are called as a church not to be a business that hires and fires, but to be a family that rises up sons and daughters. And suddenly those words became for me a prayer, but I couldn't echo those words. All I could do in the midst of a very quiet room, because it wasn't the worship time, was howl and lean into someone else's words as an expression of my prayer. So what we're going to do in a minute, we're going to listen to a song, and you'll hear the words there. They might be words that you can lean into. We're going to have a time when we adjure leaders into a time of using the words of Scripture as something that we can lean into, and then we're also going to have a bit of liturgy. I'm not going to pretend that these will be the right things for everybody, but in there may be some words that you can borrow as you bring them into the reality of your experience. So, Lord, we thank you that you are real and you are here. And as we go through this next little while, meet us by your Holy Spirit. Do what you want to do with us in this time. Lead us to the place where you would have us, because in the end... Your lap, whether we're laying into you or not, is the safest place to be. So come Holy Spirit. In our music, in our words, in our silence, around this table of hope. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>